Hi, welcome to the cottage. We are a lively outpouring of an exciting adventure into God's riches and glories in Christ Jesus. We regularly work to activate an excitement for the kingdom of God as it is in the now until it comes into its fullness. We invite you to our sessions to explore the heights and depths of God's love in a fuller bandwidth. I'm Dr. Ken, the pastor of a small independent church seeking to return to the Lord's zeal in times where apathy and lethargy rule the day of the complacent. We try to shake things up and offer a temporary home as we travel this sod until we reach higher ground and connect into the everlasting life from above, here on the earth as it is in heaven. For more information, you can email us at thecottage at dken.cc. That is thecottage at dken.cc. To see the sermon slides, you must use the Spotify app. They will appear in a video. Hi, welcome back to The Cottage. We're continuing our Walking with Abraham series, where we talk about the paradigm of the promise. So tonight we're going to talk about the paradigm of the promise. We've been in Walking with Abraham. We're in Genesis 15, and God has spoken to Abraham this promise. And in Genesis 15, Abraham's going back to God saying, What about this promise? And so I want to go through that a little bit. And so in Genesis 15, verse 4, it says, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This shall not be thine heir. Because he's thinking that his uh, number one servant is going to be his heir. And... uh, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thy heir. So God has promised him that it's going to be someone from him specifically. You know, and eventually we'll get to the point where God is actually going to say that it's coming from Sarah. And when we get through the story. So, this reminds me in 2 Samuel chapter 7 verse 12, where it says, When thy days shall be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. So, God is telling David, I'm going to establish your seed, just like God is telling Abraham. And we obviously know that Christ is going to come through here. And so, it's amazing that in 2 Samuel chapter 7, David wants to build God a house. And God says, I'm going to build a house through you. And so we have this funnel that we talked about before where God is funneling it down. And he's moved from all of humanity to Abraham down to David and the line of kings. And he's going to establish that kingdom. And we're praising God that God establishes the kingdom. So, let's talk about God's promise. And I'm going to try to lay this out visually for you tonight. We're talking about God's promise. So, here's the promise, okay, that God is given to Abraham or to any of us. The promise. Okay, this is God's plan for your life, you could say. So, hopefully that's, maybe I need to do a better job. I'm not sure how that's going to work. You know, it's often called the blessing, where we walk in God's blessing. God wants to bless us. Remember in Genesis 12, God says, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, and I'm going to bless all the families of the earth. So we're all blessed because of Abraham, right? So let's do this thing where I keep talking about God's there, you're here. So let's do this. You are here on this side of the screen, which matches over here. And we're trying to get to the promise, okay? So you are here. So that's where you're at. And we're trying to get to the promise that God has for us. All right? So how do we get there? How do we get there? God, what is God's pathway to the promise? And I'm hoping you can see this through these illustrations I'm using. So 
In 2 Samuel chapter 7, 19, the same 2 Samuel 7 that we just read, verse 12. Now we're going to read 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 19. And I think I've given this to you before, but this is exciting. Uh, when God speaks to David and says, And this was yet a small thing in thy sight, O Lord God, but thou hast spoken also thy servant's house for a great while to come. So David's excited of what God wants to do to bless him, but he's saying this blessing is going to carry on into, through my family. And it goes on. Is this the manner of man, O Lord? And this is this key phrase here, the manner of man. The manner of man in 2 Samuel 7, 19. That word actually is, you should be familiar with Tarath, Torah, and Ha'adam, humankind. In other words, this promise that God is doing is for all of humanity, and this promise is the manner in which we should live. We don't always keep up to that, but we should live this. This is the way we should walk. This is what we should do, the manner of man. Okay? And so it's the Torah. It's the instructions for humankind by which to go by. The Bible is our instruction manual of how we should get to God's promise. And Walt Kaiser, a famous Old Testament scholar, calls it the charter for all of humanity. You want the best life possible, it's the Word of God. It's the Word of God for the best life possible. This is the manner of man that God is moving that God wants to do this thing. Okay? So it's the best life possible. This is humankind's chief end, the target, the goal. He maps it out in his word. He's trying to lead us into what he wants for us through his word. And David knew it as the Torah. Now, he's, David here is not just talking about like the Torah as far as the first five books of the Bible or necessarily that. He's talking about how God's word advises us. Thy word is a lamp unto thy feet. Okay? Solomon, at the end of the matter, in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, he goes through all this stuff in the book of Ecclesiastes and he's trying to think through this as much as he can. And he says, you know what? Let's just conclude everything. If we're going to argue, and Solomon was supposed to be the wisest person who's ever lived, he said, we're going to argue all this stuff. Here it is. It boils down to fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. This is, again, that manner of man. This is it, Solomon says. Turn to the Word of God, and the Word of God is going to lead us and guide us. And that's what's going to happen. So... We go to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them in his image to be after his kind. So the promise that I'm proposing here is from Genesis 1.27 that I understand it is we are to be like God. Sometimes we're not, sometimes we're over here, but we're trying to get closer. It is our relationship we talked about this morning. It is our participation to be like God. We don't always succeed. Sometimes we fall, and then we have to get back up and go. But that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get to the promise. But it's to be like Yahweh. To be His people. To be His children. Children of God. Now, interestingly, Paul in Romans 10, 4 says, Christ is the end of the law. That would be the word law. There would be the Greek word namas for Torah. What does it mean 
that Christ is the end of the law. Now, casually reading this, you could say, well, when Christ came, the law went away. But that's not the word end here. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about what I said earlier about the chief end, the target, the goal. In other words, the promise is if we're to be like God, how do we get there? It's through Jesus. Jesus is going to make us like God. When we follow Jesus, we become like God. And that's God's plan for our lives. That's why we call ourselves Christian. Now, Ed's always praying for Christ to come, and that's going to happen, and we're going to get Christ. But there's trying then now to walk into that. Okay? Now, how do we get to Christ? Well, we need to walk in the Spirit. We need to be like Christ. We need to move along this path. That's what the Bible teaches us. To be like Christ. To walk with Abraham, but now we have the Holy Ghost. To walk in the Spirit, Paul says. So John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way. Okay, he says, I, he's not saying I'm the end, which he is the end, he's the Alpha and Omega, but I'm also along your way. How are you going to get there? It's through Christ. Following the manner of Christ. Making Christ our manner. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. We can't get to what God wants. Least we do it through Christ. We can try on our own. We can fail on our own. But we can't get there. Least it be through Christ. Christ is going to help us to get there. When we align ourselves with Christ, become more like Christ, following what Jesus laid out for us. Hallelujah. So then it brings us to the point that we end up being with Christ. We get there. We achieve that. We're there. He's the end of the law. In other words, everything that the Old Testament was describing was prophesying Jesus coming, but it was also God's way of saying, hey, don't follow those other gods. Don't do those other things. Follow me, and I'm going to take you to the best life possible through the way, and I'm going to bring you to Christ. But you can have Christ along the way. So, interestingly, we talked about righteousness this morning out of Genesis 15.6. And we talked about it as being relational. For Christ is the end of the law for what? For righteousness to everyone. When we live like Christ, and Christ is able to, He will make us right and get us in right relationships so that we can love God and love each other. The two great commands that we talked about. So, Christ is the end of the law to bring about righteousness for everyone when we start treating each other the way we're supposed to treat each other and we love God and love each other to everyone that believes we were in Genesis 15:6 all morning where Abraham believed God and because he believed it was righteousness and he believed God not just one time but it's a constant believing every day believing in Christ every day I need thee every hour every hour I need thee it's a constant belief that we need God all the time to help us along the way Amen. so there it is Genesis fifteen six, and he Abraham believed in the Lord and he could get the quality of righteousness. He's going to obtain that by turning away from those other gods, by continuing to trust God that I'm going to get closer and closer. Sometimes I'm going to make a step back. Chapter 16, we're going to make 
some steps back, but I'm going to get there. I'm on my way, and God is in process of making me right. Now, just to show you that Christ is not the end of the law, it's in the sense that the law is over. Matthew 5, 17, what did Jesus say? Think not, I've come to destroy. Let's talk about this for a minute. Okay, Christ is saying here in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, I have come not to destroy. But elsewhere in 1 John 3, 8, Jesus says, uh, John says that Jesus, for this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. So he did come to destroy something, but did he come to destroy the law? The works of the devil. That's what he came to destroy. Through the blood of Jesus we just sang about. So let's go back to Matthew 5, 17 and 18. Think not I come to destroy the law. Well, I thought Christ was the end of the law. You mean we have to keep the law? We don't have to keep the law exactly what it says literally. We have to understand what God was trying to teach those people back then to lead them closer to him. So we understand what the intention was and we have to follow those principles. And that's what's going to lead us to be like Christ in this world. We still keep the Ten Commandments, right? Are we going to throw them away? Or did they already do that? This country, we threw them away. Anyway, I was gone, I think, or I don't know if I was around for that. Let's go to Romans seven twelve. Why is he not going to, why is it when it end the law, why is he not destroying the law? Well, Paul says the law is holy. Romans 7.12 Not only is the commandment is holy It is just Righteous, it's just And it's good So we're not talking about destroying the law Because Jesus is not talking about it And neither is Paul talking about it I am not, Jesus says in Matthew 5.17 and 18 Come to destroy But what? To fulfill so that you and I can do what God intended when he said those things to them. For them to do that. But there's something that Christ has come to fulfill it. So that we can get to where God wanted us to take us. Hallelujah. So, going on now in verses 19 and 20. We're in Matthew 5. We're in the Sermon on the Mount. Wherefore, therefore shall break one of the least of these commandments, he shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. You break one of the least. What does James say? James says you break one, you broke them all. You break one of the least, you are least in the kingdom. That's why we need the blood of Jesus. That's why we need to wash our garments. Whosoever shall do. That's what he wants us. He wants us to do. And teach them. The same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. He's wanting us to do. We don't always do, but he's trying to get us to do. That's what he's after. He says, now, accept your righteousness. Oh my goodness, this is Jesus telling us. Accept your righteousness. Look in the mirror. Me, I have to look in my mirror. Here's the time for the selfie. Accept your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of scribes and Pharisees. You shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. You're not going to get what God wanted. You have to exceed their righteousness. You have to exceed that. Okay, that's what he's teaching. 
What did he say in Deuteronomy 9.5? When he told them, as Moses is speaking by God as a prophet to the second generation, the Joshua generation, that's going to go into the promised land, he said, it's not because you're righteous. Abraham doesn't believe in his own righteousness. Not for your righteousness. Not for the uprightness of your heart. I'm not doing it because you were this great. I didn't choose you because you were just the greatest. He didn't choose Abraham because Abraham was the greatest. He didn't choose us because we're the greatest. Amazing. No, I didn't choose you. That's Deuteronomy 9.5. Verse 6 says, Understand therefore the Lord thy God giveth thee not this good land oppresses because of your righteousness. For thy I'm not doing this because of your righteousness. Now I want to bring you into my righteousness, but I'm not doing it because of your righteousness. That's Deuteronomy 9.6. Therefore, we know from Hebrews 4. We spent a lot of time in Hebrews. Okay, we spent a lot of time in Hebrews, Hebrews 4. For we have not an high priest. Oops, sorry. High priest. Now, we need to pause here because we just did Genesis 14. So if you're with me with Genesis 14, we don't have a high priest after the Levitical system of priesthood. Hebrews 7, 11. Let's, let's jump there and we'll come back to Hebrews 4, 15. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, if I could achieve perfection by the Levitical priesthood, it would have been fine, but I didn't. That's not what I intended. That was something that was in place for a season and had its purpose, but the temple's gone today. You're not going to get perfect doing that. Hebrews 7, 11. No, we need another priest. And that's Jesus. And I'm trying to describe Hebrew 4.15's high priest that we do have. We need another priest. And we did that in Genesis 14. After the order of Melchizedek. After the order of something. And what was Melchizedek's name? King of Righteousness. I need to give you something that's actually going to work. But I need to show you, I'm going to do it as Jesus. And you follow me and you will do it. To get you to the righteousness. And notice, and not be called after the order of Aaron. Anyway, so back to Hebrews 4.15. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne. To the throne. We have access to the throne. Bold access because of Jesus Christ. That when we do sin, that we can be washed in the blood. To therefore go to the throne. Whatever you got going on, go to the throne. Go to the throne. Now, I've never been hung over before. I don't know what it means to be hung over. But don't they go <laughs> vomit in the toilet and we call that the throne? You know, well, you know, because of what they did. Well, that, that's, we got to go to God and get rid of whatever we got. Get, do. get it out of our system. We can go boldly to the throne where we're going to get grace that we just sang about. God's grace, greater than all our sin. That we may obtain mercy. We should receive judgment, but he decided to give us mercy. Because of this priest, Jesus, that we just taught in Genesis 14, that Melchizedek and Abraham, it's all tying together here. 
I'm trying to bring it all together so that you and I, we can find and then offer that same grace to all these people that are out there and they don't know what to do with themselves and they're shooting each other at a parade. And because they shoot each other, other people are getting killed. Because they can't find this grace in their time of need. We need to find it for ourselves and we need to offer it to each other and offer it to the world. So let's get back to the whole thing here. Now we're back where I took you, the promise. This is humankind's chief end or goal. Now to sin is to get off the miss the mark. To miss what God intended. To miss what God intended. Alright? What does Deuteronomy 30.19 says? What does Deuteronomy 30.19 says? I call heaven and earth today against you. They have set before you life and death. You have a choice. You can choose to live. Get closer to God. You can choose to die. Go that way. Adam and Eve chose the wrong fruit. And because of that they experienced death. But God was merciful. He didn't kill them right away. He found them clothes when they tried to stitch their own clothes for their own righteousness to cover up their own sin. He's like, that is not going to work. I'm going to do the sacrifice. I'm going to kill the animal. I'm going to give you clothes. You can't cover your own sin. I'm giving you a choice between blessing and cursing. We started out with what? God's plan. The promise is your blessing. But I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between blessing and cursing. And he says, therefore, choose life and you will live. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the only true way we live. If we're doing anything other than Jesus, we're dying. Amen. And if we're dying, we need the doctor to save our lives. We need whatever it is. Pull out the, the nukes, the cancer, the, the whatever. So, what happens? I want you to understand this. What happens? Here's the cursing. And it's not showing up great on this screen. But it'll be close enough, I think. I'll have to adjust these. I'll have to adjust this later on. God's pathway to the present, what do we do? When we rebel, when we choose death, when we make a bad choice, we make a detour, our turning away from God. We're supposed to be going toward remember, it was Abraham says, You want north or south? And God went another direction. And God got in all kinds of trouble for it. A detour, our turning away from God, from the path to God's promise from blessing. It doesn't mean that the promise is still not there. It just means we're not going to the promise. We're going down. We're cursed. We're in a downward spiral. It's called sin. It's called sin. We turned away from God and His plan for us. Remember, God is at the top. Heaven's up, up top. So we turned away from God. We're going down. This is what happens when we sin. 2 Samuel seven fourteen says, Now, David, your seed, I will be a father to him, your seed, and he shall be my son. And if he, if he, if he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men so that I can try to get him back on track. So I can get him back on track. Because he's off. He's going the wrong direction. He's going the wrong direction. So what happens is through our repentance when we return
return. We turn again, returning back toward God so He can get us back on the pathway. This is repentance. I'm mapping out repentance right here. This is getting us back on track. We made a detour. We're heading down. We're cursed. And now God is turning us around through repentance and we're turning back. Praise God. Now, it's conditional. I don't know if you can see that there. It's a little tight. But it's conditional on Jeremiah 18. Jeremiah 18 is when God sent Jeremiah to the potter's house. And God says, I am the potter. You are the clay. I will mold you and make you. And in Jeremiah chapter 18, God says, if a person is going down and sins, does that mean it's over? Game over? God's finished with them? Absolutely not. We did John 8 this morning. We know that God is not done with that person. God says, if a person sins and repents, I can make them new again. But if a person is headed toward me and starts to sin, they're not going to make it to the promise. The only way they get to the promise is repent. So if a good person does bad, they're going down. If a bad person turns to good, they're going back up. What's the point of Jeremiah 18? To repent. It's conditional on if you repent or not. We did all of that in Joel. Joel chapter 1 was God chastening the descendants of David as he said in 2 Samuel 7, 14. He's chasing them in chapter 1 of Joel. Then he offers them through the prophet Joel chapter 2, repentance. If you repent, then he says in chapter 3, we can go do this together. Like I always intended. Esther had a choice. Esther's on there. And I hope we get this up on the, you can get this up on the channel and you can see this through Spotify. Esther 4.14, Mordecai says, you can do this or not, Esther. You have a choice. It's conditional on you. Whether you turn to God or not. Right now, Esther, you're put in place for such a time as this. But if you choose not to do this, then you will be destroyed. But I will, then God will get someone else to bring the deliverance. But it's based on whether you choose to repent or not. This is what God is saying. It's conditional. Not on God. The promise still stands. God doesn't change. It's we who change. Any person who's good can turn away from God and sin. But any sinner can turn back to God. And that's what he's asking. That's grace. So, Abraham said he believed. Abraham, we're in Genesis 15, 6. He believed. I want to look at that again. Jonah, sorry, Jonah chapter 3 verse 5. When Jonah went to preach to the Ninevites, what did they do? The same word is used in Jonah 3 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God. Abraham believed God, the people of Nineveh believed God. And Jonah was so angry because those people repented. Because Jonah says, I want fire and hailstone. Fall down on these people. These are terrible people. They need to be judged. Kill him! Kill him! What we did in John 8 this morning. Kill him! Kill him! Kill him! They believed in God. And God forgave them. Now later on, if you read the book of Nahum, about a hundred years later, they turn back again away from God, and God judges them. But here in Jonah, they repent. They repent, and God transforms them. Gives them another opportunity. Numbers 14. The children of Israel 
are at the promised land. They have come out of Egypt. They've met God at the mountain. He has built the tabernacle. He's with them. And all he says is go, go in. Just go. There's the promise. Just, just all you have to do is step over the line and go into the promised land. In Numbers 14. You know what? They didn't believe. The same word that Abraham believed. They did not believe. They believed the ten spies. They did not believe God. And they didn't go in. And they spent 40 years wandering around the desert because they didn't believe God. What Psalm 78, 22 says, the same thing. Because they believed not in God. They didn't do what Abraham did. They did not believe in God. Now God's working with these people. He's you got all kinds of things. Come on, I'm working with you. I'll get you through. I know you make mistakes, but just believe in me. I'm going to get it done. But they chose not to believe. They did not trust in His salvation. Remember, it's God's salvation. So what is going on in Genesis 15.6? Do you trust God to do what none other can do? Now, Meredith Klein, a great Old Testament scholar, says Genesis 15.6 is actually Abraham saying amen to what God is offering. I can't do this, but you can. Abraham is actually saying amen to Yahweh. Genesis 15.6 is Abraham believed in God to the point that he says, God, you can do this. I trust you to do it. Because no one else can do it. So I'm simply saying, Amen. Use me. Do it. Do it. 2 Corinthians 1.20 We did this recently. For all the promises of God in Him are yea, and in Him, Amen, unto the glory of God by us. We covered this verse on a Wednesday night. That Jesus is the Amen. But... When we align ourselves with Christ, we become the Amen. When we become like Christ, we become the Amen. When the Word of God, the promise, we're talking about promises here. When we say Amen to the promise and God begins to move us to that, we become the Amen. And we say, yes, God, you're right. I'm wrong. I sinned. Forgive me. Now, can I, can we do this? We went through all that, so I don't want to go much into it. But Revelation 3.14, these things say the Amen. Jesus is the Amen. Jesus is faithful. Jesus is true witness. From the beginning of creation. Before Abraham was, I am. From the beginning, I am. The only way you're going to get it is through Jesus. There is no other way. So whatever way you are in, if you are in another way, the only way it's going to work is you got to get into Jesus. So, again, let's get back to our map. Heaven's up there, God's realm. We all know heaven is up. I needed you to see this. I'm mapping it out for you. Earth is where we're at. Down here, quite a distance between us. And down below is under the earth, Sheol, Hades, the underworld. That's how the Bible discusses it. Three parts. There's above, us, and below. That's how it's described in the Bible. Okay? Up there you have divine beings along with God. We talk about them in Genesis chapter 2 verse 1. There are other hosts at creation. They're there. They're witnesses. So there are other heavenly beings. They're up there. We talked about Isaiah 6. They're all up there. 
with God. Down here is us. Humankind earthling. We just did Genesis 1, 26 and 27. When God created us, here we are on the earth. We are on the earth. Okay, you're with me? And down below is that serpent. <laughs> we know about him from Genesis 3, right? We know he's down there. Okay? He's death. Alright? He's a God of this world, but he's of the dead. Now we know in Genesis chapter 3, the first rebellion mentioned I keep talking to you about, in Genesis 3 is the rebellion of the serpent from below. And he brings what? Death. Okay? Secondly, we know in Genesis 6, divine beings rebel and come down into the daughters of men and do some crazy things and we have the flood. And then finally, in Abraham's day, Genesis 10 and 11, all of humanity decides to rebel against God and choose to worship other divine beings. And this is out of the context of where God plucks Abraham out, who's an idolater. Are you with me? Okay? That's where it's at. Now, let's get back to our paradigm now, now that you see it. Here's our map. There's heaven. There's earth. And there's under the earth. When we make our detour, we're going down, we're dying, we're in sin, we're death. We're not living Jesus' life. We turned away from Christ and did something and we're doing death. We got, it's through our repentance. He can get us back on track. So there, I don't think you see it very well, but we're down there struggling under the water. The ancient, the Bible see this as under the water. That is down there and we're, we're drowning in our sin and he's got to raise us up by the mire we create and set our feet back on the rock. Okay? That's what that's all about. We're down there. We're, we're treading water. We're drowning. We're not making no progress. We're not moving toward God. We're down. We're going down. Jonah was going down and down in Jonah chapter 2. Down to the very roots of the mountains, it says. Going down. Our sin will drag us down. Jonah chapter 2. He's drugged down by his sin. Jonah sinned. Ran from the Lord. And God still used him to preach. And 120,000 people got saved. He's going down in Jonah chapter 2. Read this, the story of Jonah. It's only four chapters. So what do we need? Our justification. We need to be raised up again. Because we've gone down. So he justifies. He raises us back up. Just as Jonah went down, we got when we go down, God's got to get us up. And this is any time we sin. Anytime we sin, we've got to follow this map to get back on track. So just as in Christian baptism. Why do we baptize people? Because we know they've gone in sin, they're going down. And we're saying, you're down, and you're dying, and you're buried, and you need to let all of that go down. But then, you're going to rise up out of that grave. You're going to come up out of that grave. You're going to come up out. And Christian baptism is just like Jonah going down. Just the sin dragging us down. But then we're making a turnaround to go toward God and going back up again. Getting back up on track to the repentance, to the promise. So we have Jesus said, I'm going to be like Jonah. For three days and nights I want to be down. And then he raises from the dead and he rises up. He says, if I can defeat death, then you with me can defeat death. defeat death with me. So, over here on the far left, it got covered up by the little speaker icon. 
we get back on mission. We went down. Now we're back up on mission. We're back up. Get, we get back up through repentance. We get back. Our sanctification as the next Adam. The new creation in Christ. Adam was the first creation. Adam brought death to all of us. Jesus offers new creation. Through accepting Christ and his forgiveness, we become like new Adams. And we can get back on track and follow Christ as a new Adam. 1 John 2, 6, we can walk as Jesus walked. Get back on that path to get toward the promise that God has for us, that blessing. Even though we've been down there in the curse, we get back on. And there you see God up there in heaven. So he's the pinnacle. The promise is topped by God. He's the most high. God is above everything over the promise. And he's going to take us there. So one day, and we're going to be glorified. Sin, Satan, death is taking us down. Through repentance we come back up. But then God is going to take us to glorification. He's going to take us up to Him. Rose was talking about that this morning actually. Amazing. Amazing. And Jesus ascended. There is a man on the throne of God right now. He said it just to show you. I did it. And you follow me. You're going to do it. Through repentance. You're going to do it. Jesus went up. He ascended. So now God says, I want my glory to come down. Amazingly, Numbers 14 says, the whole purpose was for my glory to come down here upon the earth. Numbers 14, 21. And we, saw, we see it also in Isaiah 6.3 where the cherubim, the seraphim, the surrounding the throne in Isaiah sees. Those spiritual beings say, may the whole earth be filled with glory. But how are we going to fill the, glory, the earth with the glory? We talked about our glorification getting up there. But God wants the whole earth to be filled with His glory. He wants everybody with the Holy Ghost. How's that going to happen? How's the glory going to come down? Fill the whole earth with God's glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 18 says that we are being transformed into that glory because we right now have the Holy Ghost. And Christ is changing us. We were made in the image of God. It got monkeyed up, but it's still we're still in the image of God, but things got messed up. And now, through Christ and the Holy Ghost, we are again being transformed into that image of God to reflect His glory upon the earth. That's what I'm trying to show you here on the map. Now, believers become as the Word made flesh again. Because we're Christ's body. And Yahweh's third temple. We are the temple. When the glory of God came down on the first temple... Now we got the Holy Ghost. We are the third temple. We got that glory down here. So, where's humanity? Our initial state, we're on the earth. Number one, our initial state, we're on the earth. Created in God's image. Then what did we do? We fell. And you can't see it off the screen there. But we're deprived. We turned away from God. We fell. We have fallen. And we are not in fellowship with God. We're disconnected with God because of our sins. And we're in a fallen state. Separated from God. 
But what's he going to do? When we participate with God, all the way at the top of the screen, our participation with him causes us to rise up. But it's rising up so that God can again come down. It's like breathing. You breathe in God, you breathe out. It's this life cycle. Up and down. Where the glory can come down. So, how do we do this? Participation with Yahweh is our mission through discipleship of becoming like Jesus. Making disciples. Again, it got cut off on here. It looks fine here, but it doesn't look fine there. So, once again, our sanctification. A being in a state of holiness like Yahweh. We're unique, we're peculiar. You are a chosen generation. A royal, a peculiar people. You're different than them. Why? Because I am going to transform you and change you. Abraham, you're different from everybody in Genesis 10 and 11. I am changing and transforming you. Yeah, you're going to make your mistakes, but you're not going to worship other gods. I am changing and transforming you. Micah chapter 7, verse 19. Micah is prophesying. Saying God will turn again as we turn to Him. Remember the prodigal son? When the prodigal son turned from the pigsty and turned toward his father, his father met him on the way and brought him home. And he will turn again. When we turn to God, Micah chapter 7, the prophet is saying at the end of his prophecy, when we turn to him, God will turn again to us. He's not finished with us. He's just getting started. And he'll have compassion on us, just like the prodigal son. And he, and he alone can subdue our iniquities. We don't have enough battery power, willpower to do it. And he will then subdue it and we can cast all of our sins. And thou will cast all their sins. God will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. We'll remember the sins no more. Wash in that water. Amazing. Verse 20 says, That will perform the truth to Jacob and the mercy to Abraham. Abraham received mercy from God to have all of his sins washed in a sea of forgetfulness. And he's sworn this all the way from the beginning that he was going to do this. 1 John 2, 28 says, Now little children abide in him, we shall appear, we may have confidence, and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. So what is it, what I'm trying to say here from 1 John 2, 28 and 29? What is the text saying? I want you to get what the text is saying. I'm trying to map it out for you. But the text is saying he is righteous. The only way for us to be righteous is to be with him. But sometimes we choose something else. He said in Deuteronomy 30, 19, choose life or death. And sometimes we make the wrong choice. And we do get off track. But we get back on track. 1 John 3 says, 
That behold what manner of love hath the Father bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. We're the children of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Remember, we're peculiar. Why do we go to church? Everybody else is watching the Super Bowl. Why in the world do you go to church on Sunday night? And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. We can't understand what we're going to be. But we know one thing. We know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. He's making us like him. We're in process, but he's not finished with us yet. He's the author, the beginner, and the finisher of our faith. He's not finished with us yet. When we see him as he is. And that sometimes we can't see God. We lose track. The enemy gets us off track. And we miss God. And it's this hope. 1 John 3, 3. It's this hope that every man has this hope. That hope is which purifies us. Even as he is pure. Because he is pure. And we have hope in him. That hope and we get with him. It begins to cleanse us and purify us. Going on in verse 4. We're in 1 John 3. We just did chapter 2 a little bit. Now we're doing chapter 3. We're in verses 4 and 5. Whoever commits sin transgresses also the law, for sin is transgression of the law, and you know that he was manifest to take away our sins. John's writing to believers. He said in John 1, 1 John 1 9, if we have sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from our sins. John says, cleanse us. John is saying, he needs cleanse from his sins. Did Jesus come to destroy the law? No. He came to destroy sin. The works of Satan. That's what he came to destroy. They want to kill, steal, destroy. That's not. That's Satan. I didn't come for that. Of course in him, there is no sin. There is no sin. So... What did Irenaeus say? And many church fathers after him said. This is Irenaeus, one of the earliest church fathers that came after in the early centuries of the church. The word of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, who did, through his transcendent love, become what we are. He became what we are. He's a unique priest. That he might bring us to be even what he is himself. He's bringing us. He's trying to bring us. But it's a struggle because we're fighting against power. We're fighting against the world. We're fighting against our flesh. We're making mistakes. But he is going to purify us. If we have this hope within us that he can cleanse us. That he can purify. If we remain with that hope that there is no condemnation. When we turn to Jesus. John 14.3 and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. And it's like, Amen. <laughs> that where I am, you may be also. He's trying to take us to where He is. We have this promise. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is amazing. And to look in the mirror and go, Oh my goodness, this is what He wants to do with me. How can He do this? What do you do when you get dirty? (laughs) Wash, rinse, and repeat. (laughs) Wash, rinse, and repeat. What do you say in Ephesians 5.26? Jesus has come to sanctify and cleanse us 
with the washing of the water of the Word. It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. That's what I've tried to give you tonight. I've tried to map it out in my own way, but I've tried to back it up seriously with the Scriptures that you can understand what He's trying to do with us. He said in Psalm 119.11, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. That I might not sin against thee. What happened? Sin happens. Sin happens. In the church. Out of the church. The way we can prevent it is hiding the word inside of our lives. But we still have a choice to choose life or death. And sometimes we choose death. But God's grace is greater than our sin. And we can wash in the blood and experience this greatness. I hope this made some kind of sense for you. I may have went fast and you might have to go review it. You'll have to use Spotify if you want to see it. But this is the map that God gave me of how we repent and are restored and how it follows what we did in our baptism and we continue doing that today. We're still washing. Peter says, what am I going to do? Wash my whole body. He says, no, Peter, I've washed your entire body. You've done been baptized. But I still need to wash your feet because your feet stink. So yes, we need to be washed. Doesn't mean we lose our salvation. I'm not teaching that at all. I don't believe in that. It means that our feet need to be washed. Because God is that great. And this is what he showed me. And I wanted to show it to you. Father God, we thank you for your word. I pray that your word is a cleansing bath tonight to wash us. That we remember our Christian baptism. That any time we can return to you and be washed. Wash us. Wash us in the blood. And then take your word and believe. Abraham, believe what you said. And he said, I want to be that amen. Father, I pray that I can be the amen to your word. Transform me, this piece of flesh, to become the amen to your word. Move me. Take me. Get me on that path. Get me toward the promise. Get me rolling where I need to be. And when I find myself astray, catch me and bring me back. Like the prodigal son, bring me back home. When I get off track. This is my prayer. In Jesus' my name we pray. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this broadcast. You can find out more about us at dkin.com. CC. That's D-K-E-N dot C-C. We look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you.